Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. Where should we start today? Should we start with, come on, a little bit about Kaylee McEnany, who is sort of the White House press secretary when she's not the sort of the White House press secretary. Depends whether she's on Fox News. Uh, but let's, 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 we have a Baghdad Bob cut this morning. Let's play this, Jim. Job, uh, a stockpile that was left empty uh, by Obama Biden that he's filled up since then. Uh, he's left an infrastructure in place uh, where COVID can be handled. Mm-hmm. Um, and we believe that uh, we will do so going forward in a second Trump administration. All right. And, and, yeah, the second Trump administration. So it's kind of like old and busted. It was Baghdad Bob. It's going to be in the future. I think it's going to be they pulled a Kaylee McEnany. So our guest today on the podcast is our good friend A.B. Stoddard from Real Clear Politics. So Kay- Kaylee's really working on her on her on her second term pitter patter, I guess. Oh, yes. He's going to attend. He would have to attend his own inauguration on January 20th. Uh, they've got a lot of plans. Um, why she's still appearing as a campaign advisor instead of press secretary, since there's definitely going to be a second term, is a bit of a mystery, though. Yeah, they they just don't they just don't care. It is interesting, though, the degree to which they're still locked into the audience of one. I, I saw a quote from Cory Gardner, who was asked, "Well, is you know, is Joe Biden the president-elect?" Which seems like an easy question. Cory Gardner's been defeated for re-election. He's not going to be around. Uh, he's not going to get an ambassadorship because Trump's not going to be around. And he says, well, I'm not going to answer that because that's a gotcha question. It's like, guys, it's it's over. It's the habit. It's it's like the muscle memory of sycophancy, right? I mean, it's like it, 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 it's like you're so used to being on your knees that you can't even answer a basic question like, yes, the election's over. I'm not going to be a senator. He's not going to be president. This isn't that hard. But the difference it. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm so much more disgusted with Senator Gardner talking okay. that way than I am Kaylee McEnany and Peter Navarro coming on Fox every day and saying that everything's going great and the whole thing's going to be overturned and it's going to go Trump's way and he is going to win a second term is because he's screaming in the Oval Office into his phone at them or maskless in the same room with them that no one is, quote, defending me on TV, which is why they do that for the audience of one. But Cory Gardner saying something like that, and I was stunned when I saw that yesterday, is there's just no excuse left for him to do that to himself, to be on his knees, and for Martha McSally to refuse to concede the election until, um, you know, the the networks called Arizona for Joe Biden um, when she'd lost that seat a year ago is, is just beyond the pale. Well, this is something I didn't have on my bingo card, is that the entire Republican Party would decide that being a sore loser is is a sign that they fight. Right. That this is a sign of of manliness or of forcefulness that that being a good sport and conceding you've lost an election, you've lost somehow is now weakness. I, I didn't see the entire Republican Party going along with this. OK, a couple of other things before we get into the meat of the discussion here today. Trump, no surprise here, um, continues the assault on truth tellers. He fires the top Department of Homeland Security official who refuted his claims the election was rigged. He fired Chris Krebs. And um, there doesn't seem to be a a whole hell of a lot of pushback among Republicans about that either. No, I I did see people rush out to say that he had done a great job. Senator Burr, I I think Senator Mm -hmm. Portman, Senator Sass and others complimenting him. But there was one throwaway phrase in Senator Sass's statement that is as far as anyone was willing to go, which said he shouldn't have been fired. But no one really went to the heart of it, which is this man against 
all internal pressure and the external pressure that the president puts on Twitter, started a rumor control site, did everything he could to protect this election, um, and and did everything to to in a pandemic against you know foreign threats and everything else to preserve the integrity of the vote and came out and said so last week uh, to reassure all the millions of people that the president is lying to. And then for that, he lost his job. So it, just to complement the job he did is beyond inadequate. It's, it's, it, it, they're just, they just continue to abdicate their responsibility. Yeah. I, I suppose I'm so desperate to find some green shoots somewhere. So I, I, I latched on to Mike Gallagher, Republican congressman from Wisconsin, who, who had a, put out a press release, you know, Chris Krebs did his job, did it extremely well. The country is safer and our elections more secure from foreign interference because of his leadership. Uh, he left a legacy of success that reiterates the commission's recommendations to strengthen the CISA, maintain audible, auditable paper trails for voting and provide cyber education so Americans can better spot disinformation. Okay, you're right. It, it, inadequate. But at least it's sort of sort of the, the bank shot is you have another Republican that, you know, might stand up against the disinformation, might uh, push back against more of the the conspiracy theories coming out of the uh, the White House and, and other places. Um, one other like little green shoot. I'm just at the top of the show. Judy Shelton, the totally unqualified crackpot who w- had been nominated for the Federal Reserve, was actually turned down yesterday. Her, her nomination killed and looks like it's probably going to stay dead. Yeah. And Mitch McConnell's really upset about hasty withdrawals of troops from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you yeah, know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. We're going to hear some some um, faint whispers of independence in this lame duck period while they continue to lie to 73 million people um, that indeed the election was stolen. Um because okay. by saying that the president has the right to pursue legal remedies, but not saying that everything he said about a stolen election is a lie, they are complicit. So um, these green shoots are buried under the avalanche of they BS are. and anti-democratic, um, again, abdication from all these Republicans. It's 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 been two weeks and a day since the election, Charlie, it's and amazing. it's so much worse than I imagine it could be. I, I, I agree with you. So you want to talk about what happened in Michigan last night, the Wayne County thing? Because that was that was that was amazing. I, I wrote about it in my newsletter today, you know, for two hours, for two scary hours last night. I think we got a glimpse of just how truly awful this might have been if the race had actually been close, as opposed to being very, very clear. This is the story in Wayne County Board of Canvassers, usually just a ministerial job, but they they deadlocked two to two which meant they refused to certify the result of the elections from the largest county in Michigan. Uh, Wayne County is is Detroit. So Biden won Michigan by more than 140,000 votes. There's no evidence of widespread fraud or other problems. This is more of sort of the throwing the, the shit up against the wall type thing. <laughs> but 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 uh, clearly what the Republican gambit by, by, by refusing to certify this election, I mean, it 
it it threatened at least for a little while to, to throw the state into Trump's column uh, by quite literally disenfranchising voters of the Detroit area. And I thought it was interesting, the tweets that went out. You had the president actually tweeting out, this is great, flip Michigan back to Trump. Detroit, not surprisingly, has tremendous problems, exclamation point. Donald Trump, wow, Michigan just refused to certify the election results, exclamation point. Having courage is a beautiful thing. The USA stands proud, exclamation point. Then you have his personal lawyer, this hack named Jenna, Jenna Ellis. This evening, the County Board of Canvassers refused to certify the election results. If the state board follows suit, the Republican state legislature will select the electors. Huge win for Donald Trump. Just brazenly saying we're going to we're going to succeed in breaking the system. Yeah. And it was it was really it was frightening. It sort of felt like it came out of nowhere because, you, as you said, this is, you know, more than 10 times the lead that. Donald Trump won Michigan with four years ago or whatever, but the idea that at this point they decided that they that they would that they would do this. Not Donald Trump, David Bossy, um, Rudy Giuliani, or Jenna Ellis, but that these canvassers in Michigan would actually join the, you know, the 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 crime was so stunning. Um, and as you said, it reminds us that what Pete Buttigieg kept talking about, which was the fear of winning within cheating distance. Yeah. Um, everyone will gloss over that, right? Except for the people who are paying attention to it like we do at a granular level. They, they just won't learn from this, the average voter, just how much they succeeded in breaking the system by breaking people's confidence and that there were partisans willing um, to do that, to, to do the wrong thing, as opposed to someone like Brad Raffensperger, who is a complete partisan uh, in Georgia and is now standing up to the entire apparatus, his entire party structure um, and the president of the United States to, to say and do the right thing. Yeah. And I want to get back to him in just a moment. But what's fascinating about Michigan is there's really no ongoing serious litigation that I know of. There's been no Right. Uh, significant evidence whatsoever. Uh, the, the 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 election workers have been working sixteen hour days, and one of them was was almost you know was choking up talking to the board of canvassers how hard they had worked to make sure that this had been audited. This was clear, but I think everybody ought to understand. Now they reversed it after two hours. It was a scary two hours, but. I mean, this was tearing the mask off. I mean, the Trump world was hoping. I'm mean, talking about the president of the United States, his attorney, the chairman of the Republican Party of Michigan. They were hoping, in effect, to declare an election null and void and disenfranchise millions of voters, obviously in Detroit, many of them black, and then have the, the GOP state legislature simply name 16 Trump electors despite losing the state by 140, 150,000 uh, votes. I mean, it's, you know, it's, again, this is one of those take a deep breath moments. Look, it was, this was unlikely. It's unlikely this would have happened. You know, you know, I think state officials would have stepped in and all of this and calmer heads would have prevailed. Maybe even the legislature wouldn't have gone along with it. But you can't have any doubt about this. This was the plan, at least yep. in the mind of the man who will be president of the United States for the next two months. I mean, I want people to understand this. And it's also apparently what Lindsey Graham is up to, that they are trying to quite literally overturn the election, not by suppressing votes, but by disenfranchising votes, throwing them out. And this you said this is like way worse than you thought. I'm not even sure that most people have kind of grasped how close we came. And I, I, I said to you before the the uh, the podcast, it 
it, it kind of felt a little bit like looking into the abyss last night because you realize how really fragile this entire system is if you have people who are prepared to do this kind of stuff. Exactly. And I and it was interesting to see how many people were articulating that on Twitter, you know, that this is, okay, something just changed. And here we are, as you said, staring into the abyss. And um, how sure can we be that this um, will work out? And, and I was surprised it was only two hours before it was reversed. But I, I thought it was going to be, you know, maybe a couple of days, harrowing days. But it is it is a reminder that we, our whole system has always relied on the power of shame and the, the, the force um, of, of, you know, good conduct um, and earnest intentions that infuse at least the beginning of, of, of politicians and, and office holders' careers. And, and while it can erode over time, um, it becomes more important also towards the end of their careers. Yes. Uh, and so we've always had this balance of people, you know, cumulatively, we've had enough, um, even when they're shameless grifters and liars, we've, you know, we've always had enough um, people who are going to uphold our system to overcome any of the outliers. Donald Trump now takes office, you know, does everything he can every day to break the system, lies all day and shows the way for kind of this new um you know, burn it down, um, nothing matters, Wild West, uh, illiberalism um, that that is now being mimicked everywhere throughout the party. And um, and I'm yes, the plan all along was to have it close enough that they could overturn yeah. the will of the voters um, with the Republican legislatures in Wisconsin, Michigan and Pennsylvania. And they would have done it, I think. I, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. not I don't think that's too cynical. So this is why Raffensperger is so important, because he is kind of the counterexample, the the Republican grown up that stands up and says, OK, you know, you know, no, this is not happening. These things are lies. Um, we need to respect the system. But but he's also the counterindicator, because where's the Raffensperger in, in every other state? So uh, this is what I was afraid of last night. Um, and again, I'm, I'm, I tend to be the, at the not alarmed end of the spectrum here, but this was a little bit alarming. Was and that, Bill was tweeting that he was alarmed. Well, no, I'm, and I'm glad people are alarmed here because, because we've seen the unthinkable become the thinkable and then become the inevitable. We've seen the, uh, these things catch momentum. So let's say that they refuse to do this. Uh, they refuse to certify the results in, in, in Wayne County and the entire Republican party goes, yeah. Yeah, let's let's do it. And then you have the, you know, the the, the demonstrators descend on Lansing, Michigan, you know, the guys with the guns and screaming and demand that the legislature step in. The the leaders of the legislature don't want to do this. They they don't want to uh, throw out the electoral votes. But we've seen how grassroots pressure can build and build and build. And then they go, okay, you know what? We can't, you know, we want to keep our careers. We're going to have to do this. And so suddenly you begin to see this happen and maybe it would happen in another state. So because, okay, and I'm thinking about Wisconsin, there's no responsible Republican that believes that there's anything wrong with the with the vote count here. It's it's more than about 20,000 votes. Today's the deadline, five o'clock. The Trump campaign is going to have to come up with like eight million dollars, which they won't do. But it would help so much if one of the grownups would step out and say, guys, we lost. This is the way it works. Democratic system works because the losers are willing to say that they lost and turn over power. If you would have a Scott Walker come in 
you know, and take a break from from kissing Trump's ass and being, uh, you know, Charlie Kirk like demagogue. This would help tremendously if he would tell the base, hey, guys, you know, this election worked. You know, we're going to win. We're going to win next time. Or if the speaker of the state assembly, who knows the election wasn't stolen, would stand up and say, you know, look, guys, but they but they won't do it. Which, which, and it, the irresponsibility is that it feeds, it, it creates this space for this kind of lunacy and maybe this kind of misconduct. Yes, unless it's, it needed to be not just slightly tamped down, it needed to be roundly rejected in very stark terms. We need Reince Priebus yeah. to stand up in Wisconsin Um and say, um, everybody that I've worked with in the state legislature and everyone in, in, in state government knows um, that the, our election officials worked very, very hard under dire circumstances. Our state is burning up yeah. with the virus. And this effort has been not only heroic, but miraculous. We all stand by it. And this is done. But he's somewhere on the speeding Trump train to nowhere, um, believing that there's opportunity down the road. And so they will look back, you know, in 20 years and see that this this space they provided um, was really dangerous. But by then it will be too late. Yeah. So what is what is Lindsey Graham up to? I mean, it is interesting. I I I, I find it amazing that you have the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee calling around to state officials going, so um, can we throw out these votes? Can we maybe they'll take these these votes and just. Uh, you know, do some sort of a statistical analysis of signatures being matched. I mean, this is crazy stuff. And I really wonder, having just won his reelection, you know, very comfortably, um, if we watch the days that followed where uh, he was fingered by DJ TJ on Twitter for not having jumped up and, you know, been on the bandwagon soon enough about stopping the steal. And then within hours, he panicked and went on Hannity and donated $500,000 to the um, effort, which we've now learned is actually just a slush fund for um, Donald Trump's seniors, you know, next presidential super PAC effort. Um, he, he something has happened where it wasn't just about re-election. Yeah. It's about the family hanging around and um, and he f- believes that they have influence, even though Donald Trump senior has lost. They believe he obviously believes, you know, um, that that they are going to um, that their pressure matters and that the family, you know, capital T, capital F is going to linger around from Jared to Ivanka to John Don Jr. to Eric um, and their you know crony friends and and that that is some kind of um, you know something to answer to because he is he's not only making the you know he obviously made the call so he could tell the the family that he did it I've been yeah. calling around to election officials to have stern conversations with them and been threatening their their process um, but. It was so wild to see him go through the process of, of, you know, Ravensburger throws him under the bus, goes to CNN to call out all of this, a very bold thing to do mm-hmm. in the world of Republican politics these days. And then Lindsey Graham had to change his story several times yesterday. Wait, yeah, I did talk to these officials. No, it turned out I didn't talk to those officials. Like he he didn't talk to the actual secretaries of states in states where they are happened to be Democrats. No, he only called the Republican 
governor of Arizona because the state, the secretary of state there is a Democrat and on and on. And he was trying to influence, you know, what we were just talking about, which is this kind of space in the middle where people are taking their direction from the top. They don't want to do it, but they probably could easily be pushed. And um, I don't know, he's going to be the Senate budget uh, committee chair in January um, and has disgraced himself as Senate Judiciary Chair from, you know, stem to stern from day one until now. Um, But I have no idea why he continues to feel that, you know, the Trump um, force lives on and he has to continue answering to those children on Twitter. It it is. So I I was going to talk about Ted Cruz, but let's let's just move on to where we're at in the Senate. You you you. You, you had a. Let's just move on from the, you know. I mean, it's just it's the performative assholery of Ted Cruz. You yes. know, I mean, you know, calling Sherrod Brown an ass for suggesting that senators wear wear a mask. I mean, it's it, it's the, the day before Chuck Grassley is, is diagnosed. Exactly, exactly, and and it's the whole thing of you know going to Twitter. It, it is as if Ted Cruz has decided, okay, so you know everyone hates me. I'm a complete jerk. But what was missing for me in 2016 is that. I wasn't performative enough about it. I didn't have the the complete jerk on Twitter thing going. Um, right. So you can tell that while some of the people who are trying to succeed Trump are going kind of wonky and writing position papers, and I disagree with them, and that 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 the Cruz has decided I'm gonna I'm gonna up my Twitter obnoxiousness, and yeah. I you know maybe it'll work for him in this new party. But you you pointed something out. Everyone's now going to be focusing on Georgia. Um, where there are two Senate seats up. And you made the point that even if the Democrats won both of those Senate seats, which I think is highly unlikely, but we can talk about that, um, it wouldn't help them that much because they would still be in a deadlocked Senate. So, right, if if the Democrats win both of the Senate seats in Georgia, the Senate is 50-50 and the tie is broken by Vice President Kamala Harris. And so, therefore, Technically, the Democrats control the Senate, which is not nothing, right? I mean, it, it, it means they get to decide what goes on the floor. It means they control all the committee chairs. But it really doesn't change the the dynamic from Joe Biden's point of view in terms of being able to get stuff done. Or does it? That's right. So, yes, it is, it is certainly going to be uh, a huge symbolic victory if they pull out both of these wins. And I'm with you, Charlie. I just have my doubts that they can. Um, because they want to, you know, quote of the Senate majority. But the the thing is that if if you have the committee, if you have the majority and you control the committees and you have the control of the floor and you set the agenda, what are you going to put on the floor? What we know is that they have on their best day three Republicans who might work with them, Senators Romney, mm-hmm. Collins, and Murkowski. Uh, there might be an outlier, an, an additional one now and then, but a surprise um, but Sass. Uh, uh, maybe to me because he's retiring. Right. Um, but uh, they, they really have no um, they have no ability to do what their voters have been planning all these months, expecting a blue wave for them to do. So they can't take aggressive action on climate. They can do a few things um, through executive order on uh, bolstering the Affordable Care Act, but not much legislatively. Mm-hmm. Um, they they really can't. They're really bound uh, to just sort of doing things um, bought from from the White House to to roll back the rollbacks 
that the Trump administration put in place on the Affordable Care Act and in areas of energy and, and environmental uh, policy. So they they can't pass a huge Voting Rights Act. They can't pass a big climate bill. They can't. All of these plans um, that they had are gone. And they're um, not going to abolish the filibuster. There's nothing they can do on courts. Right. All, all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, all yeah, of yeah, those yeah. process reforms yeah. are over with. So there's no court packing. There's no changing the electoral college. There's no, and there's no getting rid of the filibuster because you don't have the support of Joe Manchin or Kirsten Cinema or I'm assuming Mark Kelly, who is going to be the senator from Arizona in the McCain seat. And he's up again in two years. So um, and Arizona, I imagine, you know, will continue to be hotly contested snow like blue state now. So I just do think that um, it's it's really a loss for progressives. They need to accept it and they need to take the heat off Joe Biden because a Senate majority is not going to mean that they get to pass reforms. So what happens if they don't win? How bad is it going to be? Uh, it, it would be it's very, very unusual to turn down a president, a first-term president's nominees to his cabinet. Is is McConnell going to play hardball in that? Would would they actually vote against, say, Susan Rice for Secretary of State? By vote against, I, I mean actually turn her down. Boy, do I hope he doesn't nominate Susan okay. Rice. Well, I mean, first of all, I think that McConnell has shown that what we used to think of McConnell is not um, you know, necessarily going to hold. Um, yes, he has been reelected. Yes, he's gotten rid of Donald Trump. But I don't know that Mitch McConnell um, is going to um, in 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 pursuit of, you know, of more seats in 2022 as majority leader um, play ball yeah. uh, with Joe Biden. He will sometimes. They are friends. Um, well, they, they, they have worked yeah. together for decades. And I would like to point out to the audience that there is no way that Joe Biden and Mitch McConnell haven't spoken. Mm. And what Joe Biden's campaign continues to do is to play, take one for the team, the team of McConnell and Biden, by saying that they have not spoken mm. yet. They most certainly, Joe, Mitch McConnell went to Bo Biden's funeral. They are friends. People don't not return Joe Biden's phone call, um, particularly for Mitch McConnell. They, I'm sure, spoke before the election, and they most certainly have spoken since. Um, but Biden's going along. In um, in pursuit, you know, in pursuit of a, of this relationship that he needs to preserve, where they will not, they will negotiate. It'll be, I'll be with you on this thing, and then you'll be with me on the next thing, and it's going to go like that. So, will some nominees get through? Sure, but what's going to be so interesting is is we're going to see the beginning of all of you know them reaping what they've sown um, as progressives push Joe Biden to use acting. Uh, secretaries and, and undersecretaries the way that Donald Trump did when he was president, because norms and traditions and rules don't matter anymore. And so why why put people up for Senate confirmation when you can just continue to break the system? So um, those conversations will be had. And I think that's why on some things, Mitch McConnell um, will ask his rank and file to, to go along mm -hmm. with some of them, but not not all of them. And again, I don't know what other kind of hardball he's going to play in just in terms of um, legislation and um, 
spending bills and, you know, all sorts of things like that. It's, it's, it's a, it, I think we're in the unknown right now. Okay, this is not intended as a snarky question. Okay. It, it will, it will come off as a snarky, but it's not intended as a snarky question. People have described, you know, said that Mitch, well, Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden are friends in Washington. What does the word friend mean? I mean, serious. I actually heard Barack Obama talking about this. He said, you know, they're not really friends. They work together. They know each other for many years, but they're not friends. Do you know what I'm getting at here? It's like, so a, a, a friend is not sitting around going, I'll give you a couple of things, but boy, if I have a chance to screw you, I am, you are, you're done, you're toast. Right? They're not, they're okay. not really friends. So, well, you know, so my actual take on this, and this, you know, obviously is because I'm so old, <laughs> is that I know that there is sort of, there were some lines of demarcation about when the system broke down. And if you became friends before it did, you are friends. Mm -hmm. So if you became friends before the time where you were not allowed to really be friends, like Barack Obama doesn't actually have friends in the Congress. Mm -hmm. He arrived in 2006 or whatever it was, 2004. So Joe Biden is actually friends um, with, I mean, he, I don't know if Lindsey Graham stopped talking to him <laughs> once he went full Trump, but they were friends. Okay. Are, um, are, are, are they friends now? Joe Biden are friends from decades ago. I'm not saying that they talk to each other on Christmas morning, um, but they're, Joe Biden is so much more beloved among Senate Republicans than, than is ever allowed to be revealed. Um, and, and again, maybe in this era, that's not allowed, but it's, it's really, there are some relationships and I believe that Mitch McConnell is one of them where it's going to be really hard to openly stab him in the face. Um, but again, um, it doesn't mean that a lot of progress will be made. Uh, it just, it just means that I believe that Mitch McConnell would treat Joe Biden, um, far better than he would treat any other Democrat in the future or that he treated Joe, uh, uh, Barack Obama. So does does friend mean that you'll you'll go to each other's you know children's funerals? But I guess I guess I'm I guess I'm here's why I'm so cynical. I I just think that there there are really no friends. There are just simply colleagues. There are people who are, will. But but then again, there are certain lines that you will not cross. I mean, I will vote against your your policy on taxes, but we can still have a beer together. But but when someone attacks a member of your family and I look the other way or when someone issues a subpoena that implies you are a crook, that crosses a line. I just I have a hard time. You know, Joe Biden's obviously a much nicer, better human being than I am. But I can't imagine that he would still consider, say, a Lindsey Graham his friend. But maybe he does. Maybe he does. Maybe the only way you survive well, in politics is to overlook that. That's what's so interesting about Lindsey Graham is that um, Lindsey Graham, I don't know what he's saying privately, but, you know, he is still friends with the McCain family. Um, yes. And they I, and, and, yeah. and, you know, and, and yet you're right about Joe Biden. He is enormously forgiving um, and he likes, you know, every day is a new day with him. So okay. I don't know about that. But, you know, we've all seen the video of Lindsey Graham breaking down in socks yes. talking about how Joe Biden's the best person on the planet. So I'm just saying it, it's, it's, it is really hard um, for a lot of people to screw Joe Biden over, but we're in a new age, right? It's, it's the hunger games. I just don't know. Um, I, I do not believe that Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden have not okay. spoken. No, I, um, I do not believe that. Well, let's, uh, and yeah, 
I think that they're going to work a lot out privately. I don't know how much progress that will amount to, but um, I'll tell you that, you know, Kamala Harris is not going to get the level of uh, respect um, from Mitch McConnell that Joe Biden will. You know, I, I think it's becoming clearer and clearer. And I, my, my main takeaway reading your piece about the limitations, the legislative limitations on Joe Biden, uh, my main takeaway was uh, Democrats are going to learn to love executive orders again. Not that they ever stopped watching them, but I, I stopped uh, liking them. Uh, one of the constant themes during the Trump era among uh, those of us that were Trump skeptical, <clears throat> putting that in quotes, was, guys, if you keep doing this, if you uh, rule by executive order, this is going to come back and haunt you in a huge way. Because first of all, the Democrats won't have that many qualms about executive orders to begin with. Um, and second, your your ability to credibly criticize excessive exec, you know, rule by pen is going to be dramatically lessened because you were willing to go along with everything that Donald Trump did. And so I think we're going to see that play out. I mean, they're going to, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to watch Republicans who suddenly have these amazing conversions on fiscal conservatism and on executive orders um, at 12.01 on January 20th. But I'm afraid that ship has sailed, right? I mean, people are still going to laugh at them. Yeah, no, it's it's really um, it's going to be something. Uh, And and I I'm just it'll be so fascinating, Charlie, to watch the 2024 contenders, you know, the most closely because they're going to, their hypocrisy will matter the most. Um, So as they, as they try to uh, relocate their fiscal rectitude and their um, reverence for checks and balances as a separate co-equal branch of government with the power of the purse, et cetera, um, it is going to be so yeah. fascinating. To and, 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 and it will, ha- will happen fast. So let's talk about the, the Georgia race for a moment, because I'm seeing this huge push just this morning all across conservative media about uh, Reverend Warnock uh, being uh, extreme. He's got some problems, I, I, I have to say. Um, his his relationship with Jeremiah Wright seems to be problematic. Some of the things he said um, about Cuba seem to be problematic. And I think that uh, there was a, um, a, the, the, a lot of Democrats, I think, underestimated how powerful uh, the demonization campaign by the Republicans was, the way they used terms like socialism. We all rolled our eyes uh, about it. But I see an interview with Donna Shalala, who was defeated for Congress down in Florida, saying, you know, this was a vicious campaign, but it worked. And in Georgia, if you're going up, uh, if you're running and you're an African-American and you've had problems saying negative things about Jeremiah Wright and you have uh, suggested that you might be open to defunding the police, that just that strikes me as uh, as, as a real problem going forward. What, what, what is your take? Well, yeah, that's why Jim Clyburn came out and said, if we run on. Uh, you know, he said, I want to make headway, not headlines. And if we run on defunding the police and socialized medicine in Georgia, we're going to lose. And he's very upset about how effective all of that was uh, from Lindsey Graham's campaign and the Republicans in South Carolina against Jamie Harrison, that it doesn't matter as a candidate if you've never associated yourself with any of those remarks, just really, really, they're potent labels and they're easy to tag everyone in the party with. And they were very effective. They were effective in Florida. They were effective in many, many places. And so um, it, it, any, any swing district really, and any swing state, because where, where Republicans are engaged and they're um, 
you know, they're almost the majority or it's a, you know, just purpling state, you're going to, you're really going to be threatened by that kind of stuff. And so in Georgia, where the race was so close, uh, where not a lot of black turnout um, changed things uh, for, to produce a Biden victory, it was actually him just winning over more um, white, uh, you know, voters in, in mm-hmm. all the Atlanta suburbs. Uh, it's just, um, it just doesn't look good for the Democrats. I think there's going to be a lot of Biden voters, Biden Republicans who vote for Purdue and Leffler because they want a Republican majority in the Senate and they want it to be done with Trump. But I just think that um, that the numbers are, are not going to look yeah, great I, um, for, for Democrats on January 5. You, you, there was, I want to point out, Charlie, that the youth vote was unbelievable in Georgia. I saw a Tufts uh, University study that showed that it was uh, the Georgia youth vote was the highest in the country at 21%. Michigan was the lowest as 13%. And black youth vote 18 ages 18 to 29 turned out for Joe Biden by 20 by 90%. Huh. It, it's going to take a lot to get them back on uh, uh, to fight for a Senate majority on January 5th in a runoff. No, it's going to take it is going to take uh, a great deal. And so it's it start off with the fundamentals being uphill for the Democrats. I did see the story yesterday where Republicans are starting to worry about Trump as a drag. Obviously, they understand that that if uh, this is a referendum on Trump's refusal to concede, um, that's not good for Republicans. And and there's polls showing that it's neck and neck. But uh, there are wedge issues out there that that I think we've seen that the Republicans are willing to uh, to use. You know, I haven't had a chance to really dive deeply enough into the numbers in in Wisconsin uh, to answer this question. But one of the, of course, questions during the the summer was how were the how was the civil disorder in Kenosha playing statewide? You know, after the you know shooting in the back of a of an of a black man in in Kenosha. And there was some initial concern that this was going to be a real problem for the Democrats. And I think that after a while, people you know, figured, OK, it's not actually playing in the suburbs. It's not really working. Therefore, the law and order campaign was not successful. I'm not convinced that's true, um, particularly when you look at the rural parts of the state. I don't think that this law and order campaign worked in the suburbs, but it worked in the small towns. And so we've been focusing on the suburbs moving more toward the Democrats and have taken our eye off the ball of the, the way in which small town rural America, including Wisconsin, actually became Trumpier in, in 2020. And so I think that those kinds of, of issues still do have a certain amount of traction. Yeah, oh yeah, they definitely do. And again, I, I wonder if those rural voters are going to turn out for a runoff on January well, 5th as point. well, um, because... They uh, Trump had the ability to help Republicans down ballot in a lot of places um, on November 3rd by um, turning out um, registering new non-voters or turning out low propensity voters. But a lot of times um, people just vote for Trump um, and and don't vote down down ballot and, and are not politically engaged. They don't answer online surveys. They don't talk to pollsters and they're not likely to vote in a runoff. So I do want to just say. Um, a, I'm not going to look at any polling about the Georgia runoff ever. I'm just going to find out what happened on January 5th or 6th or 10th um, because polling has been, while it was more accurate in Georgia than other places like Florida, it's just was, you know, it was so in- inaccurate across the board. But if Warnock and Ossoff pull it out, I-, I would look back and say it was because Leffler and Purdue are pretty, um, they're not good candidates. 
uh, Warnock happens to be a great candidate. He's, he's they're probably going to find even more stuff in his past, but his ads and his um, his messaging is is really superb, um, very likable, and um, very sort of interesting. And I can imagine him generating energy. The other thing is. Charlie, there is so much bad stuff that Trump could do that Leffler and Purdue well, that's, have to that's answer right. to between now and January 5. Lord have mercy. Well, us. and I think there's a very real possibility that we could run up to January 5th with the president not having conceded and not having started the transition because I... I and have done, and have been doing, you know, more crime spree. Yeah. I mean, that's well, the problem. They'll have to answer for that that's, every day. That's exactly right. I mean, I keep thinking that, I, I think, sorry, Republicans think that there's going to be an off-ramp when there's certification or when the Electoral College votes, whatever. Um, if, if the logic right now of sticking with Trump is you don't want to screw up the Georgia uh, election, well, that's that is not until the day before the the joint session of Congress actually opens and reads the vote. So this thing can go on longer. The the purgatory we're in could go on longer than people accept. Speaking of purgatory, I'm sure that you saw this. I just saw this. The new uh, Reuters Ipsos poll that just came out. Did you see this? No. Okay. I hope you're sitting down here. So about half of all Republicans believe that Donald Trump, quote unquote, rightfully won the U.S. election but that it was stolen from him by widespread voter fraud that favored Joe Biden, according to this new poll. Half of all Republicans have been convinced that the election has been stolen from Donald Trump. So whatever you say about Donald Trump, mission accomplished, the way that he's deranged the mind of the Republican base to the point where they would believe this sort of thing right now. So he's going to be able to go into his post-presidency with a stab-in-the-back uh, myth that he can use for political purposes, commercial purposes, media purposes. It's uh, it's it's out there. What do you do with a Republican Party where half of the people will look at reality and go, no, I'm I'm going to choose my own adventure over here and go with this reality. Yeah, and that's why this was never going to be about what Donald Trump was going to do. Um, after the election had, if he lost, we always knew what he was going to do. Everybody knew what he was going to do. And he told us what he was going to do. So this is all on Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell and Ronna McDaniel and the party leadership. The fact that they are telling their voters in pursuit of these two seats in a Georgia runoff to hold the majority that everything he's saying is true, that it's true. Um, we have to go to court because, uh, we don't know that Joe Biden is the president-elect, is not only delegitimizing this election and this next president, yep. but every single election going forward. And so this is why um, it's so despicable, is that this is the worst thing Donald Trump has ever done, and this is the worst bag they've ever held for him. And the idea that Mitch McConnell is going to wake up on January 6th after he snaps those Senate seats and tells all those voters um, no, it's not true. It was a free and fair election. Uh, Senator Leffler and Purdue won legitimately. So did I. Uh, Joe Biden is the legitimate president. We have to trust our process going forward um, is beyond fantasy. They're not going to do that. And that basically leads us back to that 2024 field. I mean, is 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 anyone going to find any distance from Trump in an effort to reset this broken party, to reboot this dysfunctional party, if they believe that the election was, quote, stolen and Donald Trump is still the big foot? No, the, the party is in cement boots 
It cannot change. It cannot get better. It cannot get away from this dumpster fire because they have to go on for the next four years. No, I, I think that's exactly right. A.B. Stoddard, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We always enjoy it. Thanks for having and me, thank Charlie. Thank you for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow, and we will do this all over again. <laughs>